0: Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Lessonly. He's the author of Do Better Work. He inspired me and our entire staff at Customer Service Revolution, and now he's back today on Business Done Differently to inspire you. Max Yoder, welcome to the show. Jesse, thanks for having me. Fired up, like I said, our meeting at customer service. We were, we were all taking notes. We brought it back to our team. We loved it and a great presentation. And you know, I want to take the listeners back to a little bit of your story. I know it was a failed business until the success that is lessonly. You know, maybe yeah. reverse engineer what is lessonly today, and let's go backwards and how you got there.
1: Sure. Lessonly is training and enablement software, specifically for sales teams and customer service teams. So a lot of training software is built for human resources teams. That's not who we are. We're primarily built for the sales and customer service teams because they have this high rate of change. Uh, you know, There's a new product. There's a new promotion they have to honor. There's new pricing. All of these things are, are constantly in flux for the sales rep and the customer service agent. So they require continuous training to stay on the same page because the customer is going to ask questions about that new promotion or that new pricing. And, and the rep or agent wants to have that information. So because there's this area that it has this so much pressure of change on them, and there's this big continuous training need. So what we do is we don't just teach people what works. We help them practice what works. So if Jesse, if you were a sales rep, I'd share something with you that is a best practice. And then I'd let you try to do that best practice on your own. And that's where you really build the muscle. There's not a lot of growth in just knowing something. The growth comes in applying what you know. So we have a practice component to our software that allows people to
0: practice. I love it. And you mentioned offline, you're up to about 150 employees now, seven yep. years. And what type of companies are you working with?
1: Yeah, all kinds. If you got a big sales team or a big customer service team, when I say big, it starts about 20 people. Usually that's where the breakdown happens. you got 20 people doing a similar job and you keep them on the same page all the way up to, you know, 30,000 people in a given customer support team or sales team. So, the, you know, there's a big range. But if your team's 20 people or more, we should probably be
0: talking. And now I'm fascinated. So obviously... You're now teaching this, how to do better work. You wrote the book, Do Better Work, but you started with a failed company many years ago that brought you to where you are to learn this. Can you just share that journey a little bit? Because you had to learn how to do better work before you could
1: teach it. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, definitely. Anything you read about in the book would have been impossible to share in Before Lessonly. So the business Before Lessonly is called Quibble. So about going on 10 years ago, I wanted to create a surveying and polling software Simply because I was working for a business that created basically content marketing software, and I started to realize that everybody wants insight, engagement, and reach from their audience. And a poll or a survey is a good way to get all of those things. Insight into what they care about, uh, engagement into the fact that they're engaging with your survey or poll at all, and then reach. If people can share what they've told you, can share their feedback with their friends, you might bring more of their friends in. Well, it wasn't a great business. There just wasn't a big business need for more surveying and polling software. So I built this software, I thought it worked perfectly, I launched it to the world, and within minutes, I realized that my hubris had gotten in the way, I thought I knew what the software should do, and I perfected it in a vacuum, and it never really recovered after that, Quibble didn't really, you know, ever go anywhere. I worked hard on it for about a year, nine months after that, trying to make it work, but it didn't, and that ended up being an incredible blessing for me, because what it taught me was all the things not to do, and I got to start with a blank slate, with, well, not with a blank slate, I got to start with that information with Lessonly and build Lessonly very much more methodically and more meticulously, or guess, I guess, slowly but surely over time instead of all at once. Uh, and that kind of agile nature helped me a ton. So obviously, one of the things you've learned there was
0: share before you're ready, which I can't tell yes. you, Max, how much I love that. We host podcasts, and i often talk about the promotions like that we're going to do potentially next year just to get feedback, or I'll get on stage yes. and share an idea just to get feedback, because you don't know until you actually get the response. And I think... That's such a fascinating principle that you put in your book, but tell me how that happened with Lessonly. So you're going back to the days, you have this company that didn't really work out. Yeah. You start Lessonly. Take us back seven years ago on how it started and how you started sharing before you're ready.
1: Yeah. So the idea of sharing before you're ready was something that we were doing without realizing we were doing it. And when we got together three years into the business and wanted to formalize our values, about three years in the business was when we were about 17 people. So we were getting to a scale where everybody couldn't fit around you know, a table anymore consistently. So it became really important to formalize values. For me, the values should be things that that you're not going to do naturally, that push you to do unnatural things, but those unnatural things have really positive results. So I don't need to tell you to eat, sleep, and breathe for our company values because you're already going to do those things, right? But you might not share before you're ready because you might be a perfectionist like a, like a lot of us are. And I think we're all perfectionists depending on what we care about. But perfectionism, it has a really ugly side to it. And I'd argue it. It's, it's mostly unhealthy, you know, it's mostly out of balance. So sharing before you're ready was this behavior that one of my teammate Corey Kahn, recognized we were doing it less than Lee And he was like, when we're at our best, we're not going into a hole working on projects and coming out three weeks later and saying ta-da, which would be the opposite of sharing before you're ready. That'd be the perfectionist, right? I'd say, hey, Jesse, here's your project. You go, oh, Max, trust me with this project. And then you go run off and you try to impress me by coming back, you know, three weeks later with this wholly thought out thing. Because we didn't riff if you went, kind of check base as you go, you might be way off where I hoped you would be, right? So the goal of sharing before you're ready is when somebody gives me or you a project or an initiative, we go and we talk to the people who ultimately depend on the success of that project, and we intermittently check in. First, you know, maybe we do 60 to 90 minutes of a first draft. So if I'm maybe creating a presentation, I might outline my first draft with just bullet points, keeping it really simple, really edible, right? And then I go in front of you and I say, hey, Jesse, you're ultimately going to have to use this presentation. What do you like about this outline? What is it missing? And uh, what would you change? And we're riffing, right?
0: Yes. So I actually heard a concept there. Instead of saying, hey, what do you think of this idea? to say, what's wrong with this idea? And so you actually huh. present it and you say, hey, what's wrong with this idea? And, P- and you go into it in a vulnerable, which one of your values. And it, correct me, so the chapters in the book, are those the
1: values of Lessonly? Yeah. The value, let's see. There's just eight chapters in the book. Five of them are company values. And yeah, so something like be vulnerable is like the through line of a bunch of our values. It's like it's foundational. You can't share before you're ready if you're not vulnerable. But yeah, I'd come to people and say, what what do you like? What do you not like? What am I missing? What you're trying to do is get a sense for am I creating the ultimate deliverable that people want or am I creating what I thought they wanted? And, you know, the more you stay in your vacuum of your mind, you don't get feedback the more likely it is that you are diverging from what people actually need because you yep. have a single perspective. I love it. All right. So that's one of the values. So
0: you're building your three years in. You're like, we're starting to grow. Got 17 people on board. We need to get yep. our values in place. Share me some of the, the stories that happened that started to build some of those values because I think everyone is going to a point. They're either growing or they're not growing, but they're trying to figure out how do they build this employee experience? What were some things that really yeah. stood out for you in the beginning years?
1: Yeah, so again, we sat around that table and said, let's highlight what's working in the company. We didn't really realize we were doing that, but like when we're at our best, what's happening? Which I think is a good way to look at you know, all of ourselves. Like, When are we at our best? And we can feel that, so we shared behaviors that happen when we're at our best, and, and one of them that came up was, we have difficult conversations, which was this idea of, we're gonna look our troubles in the eye, and we're gonna co- communicate through them, and we're gonna, we're gonna do so compassionately. And the thing about that value was, it was very, very aspirational. And every value should be aspirational. So, you know, when companies put up their values, they should be challenging to the company in such a way that you will not do them consistently. That's why they're on the wall, right? We cause we're going to err from the values. Well, having difficult conversations is an easy one to not do because I don't think we live in a society where we're very well informed or very well educated on how to communicate when there is conflict. Whether it's systemic conflict or interpersonal conflict, what we tend to do is we model the behavior that we see from our caregivers. However, they engaged in conflict, and ideally it was super healthy. But if it wasn't super healthy, if it was argument, if it was avoidance, if it was repression, those are not healthy things, but we learn from them, right? So whatever our caregivers do is probably what we're going to do. So having difficult conversations is the idea of we need to talk about the things that are difficult, but at the time we didn't really know how to have difficult conversations, which is what made it so aspirational. It was like, we want to get good at this. And so for the years, I saw a lot of feedback, and somebody finally brought nonviolent communication my way. It's just this excellent book by Marshall Rosenberg, and that became the fundamental kind of method that we used to have difficult conversations. So it was a multi-year evolution of this value where we finally got to, here is what it actually means to have a difficult conversation. You know, you spend the most amount of
0: time in your book. On the NVC, you spent numerous pages going into it. So it yeah. sounds like it played. It's the longest part. chapter. Yes, it sounds like it played a huge role in your company. So I want to maybe take back to an example where you had to have yeah. a difficult conversation with someone, not necessarily letting them go, but maybe helping them get to another area. Can you share that experience and how you put this NVC, nonviolent communication into it?
1: Yeah, sure. So if I have communicated with you and we have an agreement in place about how to do something a certain way. Yeah. And we've agreed that that is the way that it should be done. So, so maybe in your job description that we've written up together, you've been hired. We've made sure that we've articulated a job description where we have measures in that job description so that you know when you're doing well and I know when I'm doing well. which is a Super important thing, right? It should not be my gut that says this isn't working out. If you're my director, Jesse, it shouldn't be my gut that says it just sometimes, it, you know, the gut starts the uh, investigation. But we should have measures that clarify wh- why my gut is feeling the way that it is. So if we have those measures, I would speak to one of the measures and say, hey, we made an agreement that if I asked five people on this team, these two questions, they would be answered in the affirmative 80 percent of the time. And I've asked five people these two questions and they've been answered in the negative 80 percent of the time. We had an agreement and ground to stand on. My observation is that we're agreement is out of, out of line because I asked the question and I didn't get the answers that we agreed would identify success. I'm nervous about this because I value consistency and I, and I value your support. So my request is we get to the bottom of what's going on here and figure out you know our step forward. Does that make sense? So what I did there was I talked about an observation, my feelings about it, the need underlying that feeling, which is the value of consistency and support, and then the specific requests that I have. That's, that's what nonviolent communication
0: is. I love it. And it's so funny because all these are built in because you just went into about agreements. And that's one of your, uh, obviously, one of the chapters of the book, get more agreements. And I love this, expect less and agree more. Myself as a CEO and, and owner of the team, we have expectations. We have expectations constantly of what we want. We want the best of people. But what you're saying yeah. is, hey, get agreements first. The agreements of what the what the measurements are, what the requirements, what you're looking for, that's the starting point, And that can lead yep. to everything. Am I hearing that correctly?
1: That's right. And you won't get every agreement you know, on day one. You won't get every agreement on day 100. So as you're living, you'll see new opportunities for new agreements. Jesse, you're going to be operating today and you might see something that you want to be different. Yes. And so going forward, you get an agreement on that thing, but you cannot hold that person retroactively accountable to something that I can't and you can't or we shouldn't do things, uh, basically hold people retroactively uh, hostage for something that they didn't know that they needed to do. So we can say as hey, I might have seen you five different times in the past do this, do it a different way than I hoped. But now we're getting an agreement and I won't even bring up those five times. I'm just saying, hey, going forward, when this situation occurs, could we do it this different way? And then you can say totally or with a slight adjustment. And then we have an agreement in ground to stand on. So now if you keep going back to the old way after you've agreed to do it a different way, you do that two or three times. At that point, I can go, hey, we made this agreement. The last three times you haven't done it. I'm frustrated. Because I value consistency and support, same stuff, right? But getting that agreement straight out of the gate is the way to be compassionate, in my opinion. Mm. It coming down to Max, it's a lot of clarity.
0: I mean, you're very clear on what your expectations are, what you're going for, what you're looking for. Everything comes down to clarity. I want to go into, I want to go into your office right now. I want to go into your office. Tell me what like. Typical days look like. What do you guys do for, I mean, you say highlight what's working, which I love. We always focus, so many leaders focus on what's not working. I caught you doing this. I caught you doing this. Tell me what like the recognition, celebration culture, you know, even from onboarding. I want to know what inside your office, it seems like it's, it's a place that understands what matters most. How
1: are you making your people feel? Go into a little bit of that. Yeah, I appreciate that, that, man. I really do. do. Um, so. so Early days, uh, I'm a big, this is a value, I think, because it's super important, but it's very personal to me. I'm a big words of affirmation guy. In some cases, my integrity is too much wrapped up in other people think. So there's a balance here, right? We can't just be kind of only doing what other people think, right? It's positive. We have to understand for ourselves what we value. I didn't always know that. But when we think about highlighting what's working on the team, the big idea is if you are grateful for something, let people know. Because by letting them know, we understand what to do more of. And that's ultimately what we want, right? We want a blueprints for what works, not blueprints for what doesn't. And when we talk about our problems, we're basically talking about the things that don't work, whereas if we talk about what we want more of, we're talking about the things that do work. So we've instituted a bunch of different ways to do this. I personally will just do, that, do it verbally. You know, I'll sit down with somebody and I'll say, hey, Jesse, yesterday when you saw that one of your direct reports looked like they might be frustrated and you just asked them how they were doing, I really appreciate that. Because I, I need managers who check in with their teammates and who are sensing their teammates, because it means a lot to people to uh, just be. How are you doing? And you care so much about your teammates that you did that it means a lot to me. Well, I'm just I'm telling you what good behavior looks like there, what I prize, and now you're much more likely to do that again, right? So we institute that verbally, but we also institute it with uh, cards like a, "You are awesome" cards. So we made these cards in the early days. Our engineering uh, director Aaron was like, "Hey." I love praise, but I want to write it down. And I don't necessarily want to do it face-to-face. I'd like to write a note and leave it on somebody's desk so that when they get in in the morning, they can read what I thought. So Aaron was basically saying, hey, help me give praise the way I like to give praise because not everybody's like you, Max. You know, we're verbalizing it is is a ticket. So we've now gone through thousands upon thousands of UR Awesome cards. And I know that because I used to order them, and I couldn't believe how many times. So we instituted those. We give those out internally. We also do shout-outs at team meetings big idea there is the more we share what works, the more people will do what works. So there's just these natural ways. But I think each person has their own way of expressing gratitude. My job is to remind people to do it, and they will take that and make it their own. You know, however they want to express gratitude is how they'll do it.
0: I love it. You know, we're always talking about here, you wouldn't believe moments. How do you create you wouldn't believe moments for our customers, our fans and they walk in and also our staff? And now, we think big. We do a lot of special trips and take send people to different things, but- You know, what are those things that are memorable? Maybe even someone's first day, Max, when they first come in. What are those things that you do that like they may go home and say, wow, this is really cool. I'm so proud to be a part of this company.
1: Yeah. What I hear from folks who who start on their first day is that they feel very welcomed. And I think that's just people who see a new person making time to come over and just introduce themselves, which... That's incredibly intimidating. I think if you don't have a culture where of people like acknowledging that you're new and that you might feel a little unsafe in your new environment, yeah. and they make it safer by just coming over to get to know you, I think that's very special. We, we have a mic to true. every new employee on their first day. They start on Monday, they get to introduce themselves at the team meeting, which <laughs> is always fun. What kind of introductions do they do? Well, they tell us about themselves, what role they're working in, and they give us a fun fact. So you know you learn a lot about somebody's biggest hobbies in that
0: experience. Okay. I love it. I love it. So, I mean, Max, you can tell like these positive things that happen in offices. This inspires me so much because you've got your values so aspirational, so simply put, but it's the things that are happening in the offices that I think really create great experience for people. And I love this that you put in the highlight what's working, the more celebrating and then the what's going well list. Tell me how that was instituted. Is that just by you or is that by everybody?
1: Yeah, everybody yeah. can make their own kind of what's going When you're asking about that, do you mean like where do we keep the what's going well list or, or what do you – How is it utilized? Like the what's going – I think it's so important to
0: actually continue to highlight the great things. And the what's going well list is something that I think almost every company should say, hey, guys, look what happened this quarter. This is what just happened. Like like what's going well? Look at this, this, and this to keep showing the progress and the momentum. Yeah, that's it's, a, a, it's, a, it's a great, great
1: question. question, and, and it's, it's one, one of my, my favorite, favorite concepts. Sure. So everybody owns their own version of what's going well. And they do that by modeling the behavior of asking the question of what's going well and how do we do more of it? So my job is to ask people what's going well and how do we do more of it? And the more I ask that question, the more other people will ask that question. I'm setting a tone and a standard to say this is what matters. And as people see that that matters to me, they turn around and do it themselves. And that's not just me, right? That is that happens all the time. Anybody's behavior is contagious. So my job is to be contagious about the things that I really care deeply about by just doing them, not just talking about them, but by doing them. And in doing so, I create the highest likelihood that those behaviors are replicated. I love it. And then you also do the, uh, the nice things people said list. Yeah, that's my personal thing. So again, I mentioned that I can be a little too concerned with external affirmation. I've now realized that I've taken Brene Brown's idea of a square squad and I have a square squad of just a small group of people. They are kind of my feedback layer, like people who I know that care and trust and love me. They're my feedback layer. So the whole world isn't my critic, but these people who I know will tell me the truth and who know me well, they can be my critic. That helps me a lot. But the nice thing people said this is really just when somebody sends me something that I think is nice, I put it in a Google Doc and I go back to it and it helps me remember positive moments in my life. And that can be very inspiring and motivating, especially when i maybe not feeling so good.
0: I love it. Tell me about, a little bit about the square squad.
1: So the, the concept. So if someone wants to start this right now, how did you do it? Yeah. So take a one inch by one inch piece of paper. Brene Brown uh, recommends a one inch by one inch piece of paper because it constrains you. And then put the names of people who you trust, respect, who will tell you the truth, which means, you know, if you're maybe behaving in a way that they think is destructive or not constructive, they'll say so. And you can only fit so many names on the square squad. uh, So that keeps the list tight and it it forces you to really clarify who are the folks that if I'm concerned, maybe I'm off base or out of touch in some way. Or I just want some feedback from who can I go to. And the people in your square squad should be that list. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so you will once in a while, if you're feeling down or upset
0: or kind of worried about something or concerned, you will reach out to them.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, so right. if, I'm, yeah, if I'm having a crisis of confidence, you know, I, and I think there's a fork in the road and I'm concerned that I don't know which way to go, I'll call them. Maybe I've gotten feedback from a teammate that I have a blind spot. Um, I'll call someone um, in my square squad, if not multiple people in my square squad, and ask if they've ever noticed that blind spot. One person's perspective isn't all that clarity inducing, right? But if you get people who have known you for a while, they can bring you a lot more Somebody at work maybe sees me on a bad day and maybe gives me some feedback on that bad day. I want to go find out if that's something that is a trend or if that was just a bad day. And the Square Squad can help me do that.
0: I think that's so important. You know, we think obviously about a lot of the people as leaders, entrepreneurs, owners, business. We're thinking about our people, but also we need to think about ourselves. And I think having a nice things people said list. I have a drawer that keeps every letter I've ever been sent, that I keep every letter. It's it's And just to come back to once in a while, I think that's so important the Square Squad. Is huge and Max. I'll share something we just did recently. Our fans first director came up with it. We did the love language test for everyone on our staff. And cool, tell me about about it. It was fascinating. So obviously the five love languages: words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and missing one. Gifts. Gifts. There you go. There you go. Gifts. Thank you. So she said, "Let's do this." And so we all did it, and it was so fascinating because everyone, everyone was very high words affirmation. Now again, we all have between 23 and 28-year-olds on our staff. Everyone was very high words affirmation. Our president came up with uh, like 11 on words affirmation, but zero on physical touch. He said, tell me you love me, but don't you ever touch me. And it was just really, really funny. And we started getting an idea of everyone. And I was like, certain people, I would get gifts for them, but gifts were very low in their scale. They want words affirmation or an act of service. And if you really want to deliver love to your people, you need to know what's their language, what matters most to them. Right. And so now we have all our leadership. We have a list of everyone and we know, all right, you know, Jonathan just did something great. He's as high on words of affirmation as possible. Let's send him a note. Let's read it in front of the group. Let's do something that'll really hit home with him. And I think uh, it was game changing for our organization, but it goes to the same thing of like, hey, knowing what matters to most people, celebrating what's going well, knowing what's important to people and highlighting what's working.
1: I love that you do that. And I'm uh, interested in <laughs> giving it a shot myself. I'll try it with the executive team.
0: Yeah. You know what? People love finding out things about themselves too. And maybe they haven't done it and they'll, it's something they'll share. And now if you actually start, hey, I know this was important to you, it goes a long way. So I think it's fascinating, but it all goes in the same picture. We're trying to make a better team, do better work. And I want to go one more before we have some fun with some rapid fire questions, but please, please bring brightness to the room, Max. You know, you're speaking to a guy in a yellow tuxedo that this is right up my alley. And showing up is important, but how you show up matters more, you said. That is so important. Tell us a little bit. I mean, it's so
1: obvious, but tell us how that comes into play in your offices with your staff. How do you celebrate that? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's not obvious that our energy is contagious, right? Like it takes a long time to realize that there is such thing as an emotional contagiousness where your emotions transcend you and can be a contributor or a kind of negative impact on other folks. So how you enter a space and the spirit with which you bring yourself to a project or to a meeting, it matters. And it doesn't just matter if you are in charge. It matters just because you're in the room. And I go through a few different examples that make it really clear this doesn't have anything to do with who's in charge. Everything to do with just the fact that you're in the same space as somebody, whether it's a physical space or even an online space. So the big idea is you're not always going to have good days. And I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not asking you to be... You know, somebody you're not. But if you just enter a room and say, I'm excited to work on this project with you all, no matter how you say it, so long as it's genuine, it helps. It encourages everybody else to think, I'm excited about this too. Or if I wasn't excited, I'll get myself to a spot where I'm just looking at the stuff that is uh, positive about this experience, like working with these people. So the idea is you don't need to be disingenuous with your energy. If you're not having a good day, And you can't bring brightness to the room in a genuine way. Letting people know that is totally fine. Just like, hey, I'm a little off today. Don't read into it. I'm just a little off today. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with this project. People appreciate that too. But on the days when you can muster up the energy to go, hey, we have the next hour scheduled together. Let's make it a great hour. That makes a big impact on people. Mm.
0: You know, you said something to me at Customer Service Revolution, and that really hit me. You said, Other people's feelings aren't my responsibility. And I thought, and you kind of explained that, how you wouldn't let them bother you. And I thought that was really, really interesting because you said, hey, if someone's off, hey, that's okay. It's no big deal. I, and again, I'm probably similar to you in the sense that, you know, we care what people think. We want to make sure that at our company, they're having a great experience always. How did you transition to get to that point where it's like, I'm not going to be concerned or worried about necessarily how people feel, even though they're under my umbrella where I feel like a leader?
1: Yeah. So there's a balance between it, right? When I say other people's are not necessarily my responsibility, I should say not necessarily my responsibility, right? I can't control how other people feel. All I control are my own intentions, my feelings, and my actions. And if I think that I am responsible for everybody else's feelings all the time, I will drive myself crazy. It's this idea of emotional slavery yes. where I am responsible for if there's somebody on the team who isn't feeling, you know, they're not in a good spot. That being de facto my responsibility it just isn't true, right? There's something that they, happening in their life, that is challenging to them. So I can be supportive in that situation, which is how I always want to show up, which is, hey, if you're not feeling your best self today, I can listen, and I can hear you, and I can hear you out. But ultimately, whatever the work is that needs to be done, it's in you. It's not in me, right? I can't change you. And if I think that I can, I'm going to be a slave to your to other people's emotions my whole life. So – People tend to go on a scale of this is a, not my wisdom. This is Marshall Rosenberg's wisdom of hey people tend to go from emotional slavery where they think they're responsible for everybody else's feelings. Then they go over to obnoxiousness at some point when they get really fed up with with, with that whole lifestyle of I'm responsible for everyone's feelings. They transition over to obnoxiousness where they say I'm not responsible for anybody's feelings. You know I don't want to I don't even want to hear from people about their feelings. Forget everybody's feelings. And then he argues, you know, the third spot is a balance, which is saying I can be compassionate, but I do not need to carry other people's feelings. And I think that's the biggest thing, which is not to carry the weight of the world and the weight of everybody else's feelings to make sure that you're doing your own inner work. And you're finding you're doing the hard work of doing your own inner psychological work of creating a whole self within yourself. That is the most important thing you can do for everybody around you. So I need to do my inner work. You need to do your inner work. And everybody else needs to do their inner work. And the good news is if we all do our inner work, then a lot of these challenges that arise, as though a lot of these challenges that arise, they won't arise anymore because we will all be in a much more compassionate and healthier state.
0: I love it. I mean, everything is so aspirational. Everything provides hope, Max. And I think that's why this your book and connecting with you and hearing you, I, I walked out feeling better. I felt like I was ready to take on the world. And I think the ability for you to simplify it is what excited my team. And I think about to be vulnerable and cheer before you're ready and highlight what's working and difficult conversation and agreements and bring brightness to the room, all of those. I'd love to hear maybe a story of someone on your team that embodied one of these that maybe becomes part of the folklore of your company. You're seven years old. You're growing like crazy. You're making a huge impact. I believe that every company has core beliefs, but not all companies have stories that back up those core beliefs. I'd love to hear something that really inspired you that you Saw someone in your team really living up to this and making an impact.
1: Yeah, so I'll talk about my business partner, Connor Burt. Look for Opportunity is a chapter where I mentioned Connor very specifically. I also dedicated the book to him and my wife because he's my best friend and Jess is my best friend, just in a different way. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing to have both. And Look for Opportunity is a behavior that basically just says, hey, challenges are inevitable, but the way you respond to them is a choice. And every chapter in the book somebody could look at and say, that's obvious. I don't care what's obvious. I care what you're doing them or not. Because I don't think our concern is with needing new knowledge in order to behave in ways that are more healthier and more compassionate. It's that we're not applying the knowledge we already have. So this book wasn't some like, oh, I've just broken some new ground in this research. It's like, here's all the old stuff that we know works that we don't do. So let's simplify it in such a way that it makes it easier to do, that it reminds you that you can do any one of these things. And just simply by doing them, you're making the world better. Looking for opportunity is one of those things that people go, yeah, it's obvious. I know that when bad things happen, I have a choice of how I respond. Or when seemingly bad things happen, I have a choice of how I respond. Well, Connor Burt embodies that behavior of kind of not sitting in that threat mindset when one of your plans implodes, which you want to kind of get in the headspace of looking for opportunity. You've probably had plans for the future that didn't pan out mm. and in that moment when they don't pan out that doesn't feel great right if you're like me you'll tell yourself a threat story of this is bad and the more threat stories you tell yourself the more you have a threat mindset connor embodies this idea of looking for opportunity or having an opportunity mindset which is when something doesn't go to our plan he has a way of going okay great what are we gonna do And by by simply bringing the attitude of we're going to figure out what to do next and we're going to make this we're going to make this okay, if not better than it was before. It's super encouraging. And as somebody who goes in the headspace that I go into naturally, which is this is bad to have somebody like Connor go, it's only bad if we make it bad. Right. Like control what you can control and you can control your reactions. You can control how you take on challenges. You cannot control that challenges will happen. And I think a lot of us spend our lives wanting to architect lives where we try to control for every variable, but it's all out of our hands, right? We can only control how we behave, what our intentions are. We can't control the environment. We can't control other people. So Connor does a really nice job of zeroing in on what he can control, which is his own reaction to any situation. That does not mean that we don't have moments of going, ah, bummer, right? The idea here isn't to never acknowledge a negative thought because that in and of itself is very unhealthy. The idea of thinking that you have to turn everything into this bright and shiny thing It's a balance, right? If you have a negative thought, you have to investigate where that comes from. You have to process emotionally. And I write about, not in the book, but in notes that I send out to subscribers, a lot about looking your negative thoughts in the eye and investigating them. So I'm not suggesting that you have to be bright and shiny all day long. You're a human, right? Ups and downs are a fact of it. I am saying that it doesn't serve you very well or me very well when our plan implodes, to act like we can get the plan back by sitting there and stewing about it, right? It's not coming back. So what are we going to do about it? (laughs) I mean, I think it's just, it's all mindset shift. It's It's just all mindset shift, right? And it's not an easy mindset shift. And the more Connor modeled it, the more I saw the value. And, you know, I leaned on him very heavily when we had tough times at work because I knew I could count on that. But I also, he also taught me how to build that behavior by modeling it himself.
0: I love it. I love it. All right, Max, if someone's listening here and they're like, all right, I want a quick win. What's, what's an exercise I can do to start doing better work? Like a quick win that I can go back, put into play either for myself or at, at my company. What would you suggest?
1: Yeah, quick win. Tell a colleague something that you appreciate about them that they might not, not know and tell them why you appreciate it. Not just thanks for doing that, but here's why I'm grateful you did it. The here's why is where everything really starts to click. If you that. just say thanks for doing that, you leave, them open, you leave it open to interpretation as to why you're grateful. Tell people why you're grateful. And then a quick way, just in general with life, pick up the phone, call somebody who you love, and just call them to tell them you love them and that you're proud of them and you're glad they're alive, and that's it. Not because you need something, because you want to, and somebody's done that to me, and it means a lot, it meant a lot, and so I do it to other folks, because we often transact with people, even if they're relationships, right? Like, we call when we need something, call when you don't need something, and wow, you will brighten somebody's day. That right there may be one of the most powerful things. Call
0: when you don't need something because now everybody calls when they need something. Max, that that is awesome. So I've been grilling you. You've built a great culture, a great mindset. I'm going to flip the script here, all right? You are now the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question.
1: Okay. I think I just want to ask something that not the first thing that comes to my mind, but the thing that I'm really interested in knowing from you. When you think about what you want out of life, Do you think that business success will bring it to you? No. That probably took
0: me 10 plus years to learn that everything, I think a lot of people, especially founders, owners, CEOs, their identity is linked toward the success of their business. And that helped me grow the business, get to where we are. But now it's the little moments. It's the impact. It's the connecting with people. It's seeing my wife cry over the special moments that we have with our son. It's seeing... Even mm-hmm. letters that I get from people about, hey, when you sp- spent the time to talk to me and what you shared, that really made an impact on my life. I think, for me, it always comes down to impact. And that's not always through business. It's through taking time, just like you said, to tell people you care about them. Max, I don't know if you know this, but back in 2016, I started the thank you experiment. And I no, I did not that know that. I chose a word for the year. And again, John Gordon, the one word, instead of doing New Year's resolutions, I chose a word. And my word was care. And I said, if, I gotta care, if I'm gotta if going to care every day, I need something to hold myself accountable. So I said, I'm going to write a thank you letter every single day. So I bought 365, actually bought 500 custom thank you cards, yellow thank you cards. And I started writing to my uh, friends, family, authors, coaches, old teachers, anybody that I thought made an impact in my life. And I had a list of about 50 to 70 people. And then I kept doing it. I kept looking every day for someone that made an impact on my life, someone that talked it changed my life. And I continued after that year. And now I've done it for four straight years, uh, well into the thousands now. And those, those little things have made a big impact in my life, have shared with other people. But when I get them back or someone else writes, that's what matters. It has nothing to do with business. It's those little things. And I think that's hopefully, I don't want to say a legacy, but hopefully that'll be something that people remember.
1: Sure. Sure. I've I've received one of
0: your thank you (laughs) cards. (laughs) Yeah, you know know all about it because again, you made an impact. You know what it's all about. And so that's a good deep question. I'm sure you probably, from a lot of leaders, may get similar answers.
1: Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope that anybody who thinks that the you know the problem can be solved some externally, you know, whatever the problem is that plagues you, no external solution for it, it's inside. And we have to be encouraged to look inward at the stuff that isn't so pretty, right? That doesn't that we wouldn't want to put in our social media accounts, but it's just real. 100%. Um, that's, that's where, where the growth, growth comes from, and that's, that's where, where inner peace, I think, if there's, there's ever a chance life, at it, that's where, where you're going to find it.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. All right, so on that question time, you actually have a whole chapter on ask clarifying questions, but you know, I always say if you want better answers in business or in life, you got to ask better questions. What are some of the best questions you're asking?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. What are some of the best questions I'm asking? When people explain something to me, these days I am making a point to say, what did that mean to you, or what did you think about that? Because I think there's often with sarcasm and a kind of sarcastic culture, there's this implication that you're going to get what I'm saying, you know, wink, wink. And I don't should need to explain it if you're if you're fast enough. Right. But people will come uh, into my office, want to talk about something and they'll tell me a story and, and it seems like they're frustrated about it, but I don't really know why. So I dig into like, what did you think about that? You know, how did that affect you? What are your thoughts on that now? Instead of assuming, oh, yeah, that that sounds like a bad experience. How can I help? And it unpacks the situation for me more. Helps me understand where the individual might be feeling the most pain and where that pain might be coming from. Usually our internal dynamics, if there's pain at work through a behavior from somebody else, the pain didn't start at work, right? Somebody's poked on a wound that predates work. And we got to investigate that. So like, you know, how did it feel? Why do you think it felt that way? And why do you think it felt that way? And why do you think it felt that way? You
0: You know, keep digging. digging. Well, it gets people more self-aware. It it creates self-awareness too. And it brings it more of a connecting that you care. I think that's something that a lot of times we'll say, hey, how was your weekend? And then just keep going. Hey, how you doing? And just keep going. It's that keep asking those questions to show that you care and actually get to the root of the issue. I think that's awesome. And that's obviously a whole chapter you spend on ask clarifying questions. Max, I want to keep rolling. You ready? All right. Yes. Tool time. What's the most important tool you have in your business toolbox? Sleep.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't think I've ever had anyone answer that. And that's brilliant. Why is that so important to you?
1: Well, I think you can't isolate any of them. You know, it's a balance between sleeping, eating, and moving. Yeah. If I take sleep, it's gas in my tank. Yes. But I also need to eat and I also need to move. So it's that nice triad of, and I can do all of these things, you know, without any external. Requires no consumption of external objects, right? Like I, like I guess it. food does, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like yes. I can do these things on my own. And so kind of keeping that trifecta strong of eating, sleeping, and moving. It it's the ticket, man. I yeah. mean, has I'm nothing to do with smarter. Memory. I'm kinder. Yeah, 100%. It has nothing to do with necessarily yeah. with the, work,
0: the work tools. It has some of just yourself personal tools. And I think people often forget that.
1: Favorite part of your morning routine? Favorite part of my morning routine? Currently playing piano. Ooh,
0: creative. I like it. Being creative in the morning. All right. Favorite way to unwind at the end of the day?
1: The healthiest way I unwind is meditation. Favorite, probably, uh, is probably my weaknesses, right? Uh, the, the way that I think is healthiest is when I take time to meditate at the end of the day. <laughs> okay. What about a book that stands out for you? A Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. I wish we taught it in grade school on up. Okay. Beautiful. All right. A favorite restaurant. Yeah, I'm thinking favorite restaurant. I eat Mexican food all the time anywhere. So no particular restaurant, just cuisine. And, and actually, actually, Festiva's is right next door. If you come, come to Lessonly, Lee, we're right next door to Festiva, and it's a beautiful spot.
0: <laughs> I love it. All right. On that note, kind of going there. Often we think of restaurants or hotels, but now that's what I call service. What's the best service experience you've had recently? The best service experience?
1: Let's see. I think Southwest. We talk <laughs> about Southwest. I think people talk about Southwest a lot for good reason. There's some energy in uh, Southwest flight attendants. I fly other airlines and I don't always get it. You know, I don't always see it. And everybody's allowed to have a bad day, but there's this consistent energy in Southwest that sticks with me. Awesome. Awesome. All right. You mentioned earlier in the uh, form to fill out
0: one business or brand that you're a big fan of. And you mentioned Jimmy Miller and Outbound Engine. What makes
1: Jimmy Miller and Outbound Engine unique? I like that Jimmy is curious as hell. He is constantly trying to dig deeper into the human condition and then make it and simplify, you know, as as needed, so that we can relate to, you know, all the homework that he does. Well, what is and I appreciate that, in, that. What a is lot. Outward Engine? Outward Engine is a customer of, of Lesson Lease. Jimmy is in particular somebody who I just love. Right now, he's investigating conversations mm. and what makes a great conversation, and he's reading and reading and reading all these different studies about what makes a great interaction. And I'm like. I want more people in the world who are as curious as how like Jimmy like Jimmy is. You know, I love how you answer that too. You answer a person,
0: one of your clients, one of your customers. I love that. So you look inward on the people that you're helping, but they're also helping you and your fandom. Great way to answer that. Uh, oh, That's they great. totally are. I love yeah. it. I love it. Curiosity. All right, last few here. What's one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life?
1: Listen to my heart.
0: Sweet. Listen to my heart and my soul, man. I mean,
1: my body knows more than sometimes than my mind does. I love it. I love it. And some of the best advice you've received. Yeah. Any relationship that will withstand the test of time is where where both parties feel like they're getting the better end of the deal. If you want to investigate a relationship, do both parties feel like they're getting the better end of the deal? If so, that's a relationship that will sustain. If one party feels like they're losing and the other party feels like they're winning, that's not great. And that's a marriage advice, right? Both your companions should say, I'm getting the better end of the deal here. And if they're both saying that, it's probably going to be a sustainable thing.
0: You know, I feel like I'm the one saying it constantly with my wife, Emily. I bet you you feel like you're the one saying it always with
1: Jess. You bet. And I think it's super healthy to, you know, because I know myself deeply and I'm so grateful to have her as a great balance to me. I love it. All right. Last one here. How do you want to be remembered? As a compassionate person. I think that's all we need in the world is truly compassionate people. And that's very different than like the insincere kindness that I think is mistaken for compassion. I want to be a self-compassionate and compassionate person to others. And I think that's the model that we need. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, Max, you're living it, my friend. You are a
0: true practitioner. And so that's what I love so much about your book. You are doing it. You're living your values. You're offering advice and you're making an impact. You made an impact on me, my team. I know you're making an impact every day. So I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And where can people learn more? Obviously, the book is Do Better Work, but where else can people learn from you, Max?
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Jesse. This was a real treat. You bring a really positive energy every time we engage, and I'm energized by it. If you want to learn more about the book, go to dobetterwork.com. So dobetterwork.com. If you want to learn more about Lessonly, it's just lessonly.com, and you can find links to me there if you want them. Awesome,
0: awesome. We'll, we'll put the links in the show notes, Max. Again, thanks so much for your wisdom and sharing so much and making an impact, my friend.
1: Jesse, keep up the good work, my friend. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.